0: This is City Post Church. We're about three things. Build, equip, and send. All under the lordship of Jesus Christ. A small church plant in Fort Worth, Texas. Who decided to do things a little differently. Adoramos a Jesucristo. I love City Post because of the people. It's where I belong. We truly preach the word. I love City Post because of the community we've been able to build. To do ministry like Jesus. For light to push back darkness. This is City Post Podcast. to be in Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5. So the last uh, couple of weeks, we started a series uh, called The Parables of Jesus. So we're looking at these teachings of Christ, because Jesus, Jesus is the greatest teacher that ever lived. And we are just walking through them. We are dissecting them. And uh, for you guys that are new here, what we do at City Post is we just walk through the Bible. We let the Bible speak for itself. And uh, because it is really easy to just take things out of context and hustle your way through life. But we truly believe that there's power in God's word. And we just want to see what it says. So we're just going to dive right in. Um, So if you could look at verses 30, we're going to start at 36. Verse 36. Let's read this real quick. Uh, Luke 5, verse 36 through 38. And this is the parable. This is Jesus speaking. He says, No one tears a piece out of, new, out of a new garment to patch up an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment. And the patch from the new one will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and the wine will run out of the wineskins, I'm sorry, and the wineskins will be ruined. And no new wine must be poured into new, no, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We pray, God, that you uh, teach us something through your word. Lord, I pray for myself. God, help me to remember everything that I studied. And uh, let these thoughts come from you and not from me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in uh, 2001, I graduated high school. Surprise, surprise. I know, y'all thought I graduated like 10 years ago. Uh, I'm old, man. And um, when I graduated, that's when I decided to buy my first car. So I went to my dad, and I was like, Dad, I want to buy a car. And he's like, we'll help you get a car, but you need a job. So that way you could pay for gas and insurance and all this stuff. So I had the car in mind, the one I wanted, and I bought this. It was a 1999 Mitsubishi Eclipse. So go ahead and put that up there. And this is kind of what it looked like. Now, this one looks way nicer than the one I bought. Because the one I bought actually had hubcaps on it. It was an RS. Um, It's 60,000 miles. It smelled like a cigar. And... And I was like, I was so excited to finally have my car. I didn't know how to drive an automatic. Anybody here n- don't know how to drive an automatic? Some of you got, y'all need to learn. So the way my dad taught me, he was like, you got to buy this car. It's way cheaper if you buy automatic. Uh, I was like, I don't know how to, yeah. The- I was like, I don't, I don't, I'm sorry, standard. I was like, I don't know how to drive a standard. So how am I going to? Take it home, he's like, so he gave me a quick lesson in the parking lot, and he threw me the keys. He's like, let's go home. Follow me. (laughs) Yeah, that was awkward. Uh, A lot of stops. Thank God I I survived, but made it home. Now, the reason why I wanted to buy a 1999 Mitsubishi Eclipse was because also in 2000, one of the greatest movies ever made came to pass. Go ahead and throw it on there. Sorry, he's new. Bam, that's right. (laughs) Fast and the Furious. Now, listen, when I was coming out, I was a huge fan. Like, this movie changed the culture. And especially growing up in Florida, that's kind of where it was all about. So all my friends had, like, the the rice burners and those cars like that. So I was like, I want to do that, too. Now, when I thought about my Mitsubishi 1999 RS, go ahead and put the next one on. This is what I was thinking. I wanted this (laughs) I was like, bro, I'm gonna buy a car, and I'm gonna make it just like that right there. And I'm gonna, I mean, I'm gonna be like Paul Walker, you know, without getting in a wreck. But too soon, I know. All right, y'all are paying attention. All right, hey. But in my mind, you know, as a kid, I'm like, I want, I want that car. So what I started doing, I started throwing modifications on my Mitsubishi 1999. Now remember, this is a four banger. There's nothing special about this thing. Uh, It doesn't go too fast right? So I remember the first thing I did, I bought rims. I got like those thinner tires. You know, my car had 15s, so I bought 17s. And then I put coilovers on. I took the springs out, so it was like two inches off the ground. Um, Keep that black, the the black, so I I want people to like visualize this. This is is epic. Um, And then I put like headers in it. I put a cold air intake, you know, like I did all this stuff. I put chips in it. I put new wiring in it thinking it was going to go super fast. And and um, I even like took out the paneling on the inside of the car and I spray painted it like red and black. And then I threw some texture on it. Don't ask me why. I mean, it, it looked ghetto fabulous. It was awesome, man. I, I put a subwoofer in it. Man, I thought I was going to race like everybody. And I thought it was going to be super fast. But but here's what ended up happening. Because it was great for the first like six months. Then I realized Texas roads are different than Florida roads. And really, the modifications that I put into my car actually ended up destroying my vehicle. So the coilovers, I mean, you feel every bump. Because they don't serve as springs. So I felt every single bump, every speed bump. Every single, like, pothole. And then it started jacking up the bottom of my car. So the catalytic converter kept getting knocked loose. There were dents in my oil pan. There was constant leaks. Stuff was getting in the engine because it was so low. The body kit was destroyed. I used, like, black duct tape, you know, like, to try to, like, hide it. You ain't gonna hide that. Um, my engine started, like, overheating. There were so, so many issues with the wiring. And, and, and over time, it literally slowly destroyed my car all these modifications that I added to it to the point where there was a um, there was a brake fluid leak that I could not fix so every week I had to pour brake fluid in there so that way I could at least drive make it drivable it didn't last long and I think my dad's friend bought it for like uh, like twelve hundred dollars and drove it off a cliff like I mean this car was so beat down and I was thinking you know if I would have left it this way I could have at least used it for another like four or five years. It would have worked for me. But I didn't because I wanted to make it this grand superhero car that I saw in the movies. So those modifications actually destroyed my car, which I should have just left it alone. And what we're looking at here is that Jesus is at a dinner and he's eating with a bunch of tax collectors. And we're going to look at this here in a second. And the Pharisees are questioning him on some of their old covenant practices. They're like, no, nah, like, how come you're not fasting? How come you're not praying? How come you're not doing the stuff of the old? And Jesus is like, no, nah, I'm bringing in a new covenant. And what Jesus is going to teach us today, he's like, listen, I know y'all are in that old covenant world, but those modifications that you're trying to add to this, which is me, is not going to make your car faster. It's going to destroy it. And what Jesus is going to do is that he's going to kind of correct them a little bit and say, look, old covenant coming in, it's not to add to your new covenant, I mean, new covenant coming in is not to add to the old covenant. It's actually to replace it. Because if you add it to this, it's going to destroy it completely. It's not going to work. So we got to look at why he decided to say this parable. So let's go to verse 27. Because, man, this is fascinating. Now, for time's sake, I'm going to run through some things. Um, that I wish we could camp out in, but we got to get to the parable. So look at verse 27 with me. And this is what it says. This is after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and he did what? He followed him. So Levi is who we know now as Matthew. Matthew, Matthew, you know, Matthew wrote the first book of the New Testament. So Le- Matthew, who was Levi, used to be a tax collector. And Jesus goes up to him sitting in his office and he's like, hey, I want you to follow me. And Levi does just that. He gets up and he's like, okay, let's go. And I love the term. There's a term here that says left everything, left all things. That's kind of how it translates. That means that this, is, this implies that there's this irreversible offense. So when you leave everything, there's no timeout. There's no like, I might try it out for a few months and then go back. No, like he left it all behind. He's like, let's go. I will follow you. Now look at verse 29. I, th- I think this is one of the coolest verses of all scripture. That man, I could just preach by itself. But look at verse 29. It says, and Levi gave a big reception for him. In his house. How cool is that? Levi, Jesus says, Follow me. He's like, Let's go. And then he invites him over and throws a humongous dinner for him. Like, that's something I never caught. I was like, How cool is that? And then not just that, but then Levi or Matthew brings all his peeps in. And he goes, And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. Now, in context, you got to understand when you invite somebody to dinner in those times in that Palestinian age, that means that we like we rock together. Like we do business together. Like like I'm considering you my friend. Like I'm allowing you in my house. So our relationship is no longer cordial. Like our relationship is now I know you. You know me. I am your friend. You're my friend. And we will help and work each other out or work with each other. Now, who shows up? Look at verse 30, the Pharisees. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling to his who? Disciples. He didn't, they didn't even like go straight to Jesus. They went to like his people. So what were their grumbling? Man, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? So the grumbles came from them trying to corner Jesus again. Remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all the religious law, all those, all those folks, they, they separate themselves from people in society that were not like them. So they're like, hold on a second. Why do you guys eat with tax collectors and sinners? You guys are eating with the worst of society? That makes no sense. And then they don't even say it to Jesus' face. They tell his boys that. They're like, why? And then So it's one of those things where like, you tell somebody something, hoping that the other person hears, but it's really for them. We do this a lot in corporate America. You know, when when, when somebody's jacking it up, so you address the whole entire group, you're like, hey, guys, we all need to get here on time. Like, no, he's the one that's late. Talk to him. But you you just kind of do that indirectly. It's just kind of like an HR thing. I don't know. But I feel like that's kind of what it looked like. It's like, hey, Um, Why are you guys doing all this? And Jesus kind of over here. Look what verse 31 and 32 say this is Jesus. Like we talked about this is mission statement. And Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are healthy, who need a physician, but those who are sick. I am not I I have not come to call the righteous to repentance. But who sinners? Jesus is saying like, listen, this is why I'm here. Like, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's like what Stephen said in in, uh, John 3, verse 17. He said, I did not come to condemn the world. I came to save it. This is his MO. This is what he's about. This is his mission statement. All right, so let's see the pushback. Let's see the response from the Pharisees. Look at verse 33. And they said to him, Well, the disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. And the disciples of the Pharisees also do the same, but yours eat and drink. So what is the argument here? The argument here is that the Pharisees are calling them out saying, hold on a second, our people fast and we pray. Your people eat and drink with sinners. Like we're supposed to Fast and pray and show off our really like our religious ways to everybody and separate ourselves from all those who don't look like us. But you and your people are like eating and drinking with them. And they don't just say the disciples of the Pharisees, who do they throw in? John. Who's John? John the Baptist. He's saying, listen, they they do all this stuff, but you guys aren't doing it that way. And how does Jesus answer him? Look at verse 34. Well, you cannot make the attendance of the groom fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the days will come, and when the groom is taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. So what he's doing is he's he's letting them know. He's like, listen, I am here. Like like all that religious stuff. It's I'm God in the flesh, the hundred percent man, hundred percent God. I am here in your presence. It is time to be with me. It is time to celebrate. And then he says, one day, that groom is going to be taken away. He's, he's talking about his death. So he's like, no, like, I'm headed to the cross. Like, I'm, I'm here to go die. Like, that's what I'm here for, to die. And then three days later, he's going to resurrect. So he's letting him know. He's like, no, while I'm here, all that religious stuff goes out the window. Because there's a new way of coming And that is the new covenant that has showed up. So to help them understand this, he goes into a parable. Now, before the parable, I want to talk a little bit about fasting. What are the Pharisees referring to? Why are they so bent up on like fasting and prayer? Now, you see, the scriptures um, in the Old Testament, they would require that there was one day out of the whole year that you would have to fast. And that was the Day of Atonement. After that, it's up to you. You could fast in order for you to, you know, refocus. You could fast in order for you to seek God. You could do it voluntarily. But in the Old Testament, the one day you were supposed to fast is the day of atonement. Now, what the Pharisees did was that they would take the Old Testament laws and they would twist it. They would run with it. We saw this when Jesus talks about the Sabbath, when they come at him at the Sabbath. Yeah, the Ten Commandments, he says, keep the Sabbath day holy. But what do the Pharisees do? They're like, okay, keep the Sabbath day holy. What does that look like? You're not allowed to turn on the lights. You're not allowed to walk more than 50 feet. You're not allowed to cook anything. You're not allowed to clean anything. You see, so they're adding all these rules and regulations to what God has already established. That's what they do. And then what they do is that they take that and they press it on people. And they're doing the same thing with fasting. So what they thought was, listen, if I fast, and I fast more than you fast, that I'm more holier than thou. God has more favor on my life than your life because I'm doing these things. And what the Pharisees would do is that they would do this publicly to try to show off. They would, they, would, they would like brag about their fasting. They'd be like, man, it must be nice to eat. I've been fasting for three days to get right with the Lord. I mean, like they would just throw those like jabs in there. And, and they would try to show off because they wanted to show their works, but it was very hypocritical. So they were trying to display their own spirituality and they're doing it right here. Well, the disciples of the Pharisees and John they, and, and Jesus like, hold on a second. You're missing the point. The point is me. I'm in your presence. I am the one that you've been hearing about. I am the one, I'm the new covenant. I am the Messiah that has come. So what does he do? Let's look at the parable. And so he started telling them this parable. It makes, it's so easy, it's hard, you know? Like that's the best way, I could, as I was reading this, I was like, ah, oh, why do I feel like it's so complicated? But really it's not. So he says, no one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise they will both tear from the new and the patch from the new garment will not match the old. So, we all know this. We've all bought clothes or like sweaters. You wear it for about two or three days. You put it in the washing machine, in the dryer. And when, whenever you put it back on, what happens? You can talk. It shrinks a little bit. So, new cloth, new clothing, that, that's normal. That's what happens. Things kind of like shrink down, especially the cloth that they would use, that, that wool that they would make their clothing with. Once you wash it, the clothing tends to shrink down. So imagine if I had a sweater that I wore for like eight years, and I decided to patch a hole, and I took a brand new piece of cloth from the store, and I stitched it on there, stitched it all the way around, and now it's covering my, my old sweater, Then I wash it. What's going to happen? That piece, the sweater's not going to shrink because it's already been beat up and used up. It's it's done. But that new piece of cloth is going to shrink down. And it's going to end up tearing all of those stitches out from it. So you're not just patching that hole up. You're actually making it worse because now you're going to have to patch that hole. And all those stitches that came out, it ruined it. So Jesus is using this as an example of the old covenant, which the Pharisees were all up in versus him bringing in the new covenant. He's like, you just don't do that. We know this stuff. And then he look at verse 37. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst and the skins that will burst the skins And it will be spilled out, and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wine skins. So back then, they would take, um, usually it was goat skin, and it was kind of like a leather. And what they would do is that they would pour the wine that they made, and you pour it into those skins. Now, as wine ages, it ferments. So that skin begins to stretch out. And, of course, the longer that the wine ferments, whether it's months or years, the more it begins to stretch out. I mean, people that made wine, everybody knows this. But in these times, if I were to put new wine in old wineskins, those old wineskins, I mean, they're already done and used up. They're already dried out. So if that wine begins to fermentate and stretch out that skin, the old ones would end up cracking. They would bust. So that wine would start to leak out. There would be holes in it. It would mess up the whole entire process. So what Jesus is saying, is like, listen, you don't put new wine into old wineskins. It's going to jack it all up. Like it's going to blow up that wine. There's going to be cracks in it. Air is going to infiltrate it. Like it's not going to work. It's not going to be made what it's used for. It's going to damage it. So the way that you do it is that you put new wine into fresh wineskins. That means that the wineskins must be brand new in order for it to be effective. You don't just put the new in the old. And what the Pharisees struggled with was just that. They were so inundated with their old ways, with the ways of the law, with the ways of the Old Testament. And here's Jesus, the Messiah in the flesh, who's trying to bring in a new way. And they're like, okay, like we want the Messiah... But we also want to keep this as well. And Jesus is saying that's not how it works. It's going to bust your wineskins. It's not going to work. You have, it needs to be completely new. The Lord is saying that what the Pharisees did in fasting or any other rituals had no part with the gospel. You see, for them, it was Jesus and Right, like you could receive Christ, but you must also do A, B, C, and D. You got to go to church. You got to say all these prayers. You got to give money, all these things. And Jesus is like, no, it's just me. All that stuff is gone now. And then look at verse 39. And it's funny, out of all the Gospels, Luke is the only one that mentions verse 39. It says, and no one after drinking old wine wants new, for he says old wine is fine. Now, for people that like wine or drink wine, we all know, like, old wine, that's the good stuff. The older the wine, the more expensive it is. So what Jesus is really alluding to here is that the Pharisees, they they, they have this acquired taste to the old covenant. And because they love the old covenant, because they love the ceremonies and the traditions so much, they loathe anything new that's coming. Jesus identifies as the new wine, and he's like, no, this new thing is coming, but you must have something new in order to fit me in. You can't put me and the old together. That's not how it works. So he is pushing that out to them. So we see this parable and what Jesus is really, what he's really pushing is that he is the new covenant. Like we understand the old covenant served a purpose, the law was, is still here. Jesus even said, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to what? Fulfill it. So he's like, I'm here now. So the old is, it, what we used to do is going to go away, and I'm bringing in that new covenant. And as I'm, as I'm reading this, um, I was looking at the verses where, where the Pharisees were questioning Jesus. And they were like, hey, you know, like our disciples pray and ours, like yours doesn't do that. You see, they were so inundated with the old covenant. They were so inundated with the old wineskins that, that they didn't know what to do with the new wine. And I'm just speaking metaphorically here. So it was really hard for them to manage this thought process. And what I want to do is, um, for just the last couple of minutes together, I truly believe that there's, there's a few things that the new covenant is going to come in and it's going to help us to manage certain aspects of our lives that we continually struggle with especially when we look at religion and we will look at religious practices so there's three managed things that we need to manage better knowing the new covenant so number 1 is guilt management guilt management like what's that mean guilt management see when the pharisees approached The disciples of Jesus and Jesus was at the table, it was almost like they were using guilt and shame, like they were trying to guilt and shame the disciples, like kind of pointing at them, like, You're not praying and you're not fasting. You're wrong. You're not doing it our way. Like, what is this? You know, what's funny about guilt is that whenever we fall into our sin, whenever we do things that are wrong or bad, like, one of the offsets of, of sin is guilt and shame. That's like when we, when we talked about the prodigal son, right? Like when he, he had to go far away to do his dirt. And when he fell in, it was hard for him to come back because he was so filled with guilt and shame. He was like, ah, like, and he even like practiced the speech. Guilt and shame, that's what sin brings. But if we're not careful, we could also find guilt in good, in our religious activities, So what does that look like to us? Like, man, so if if I'm following the Lord and I jack it up or something doesn't go right, I feel guilty. I was like, oh, man, I got to go pray. I got to go. I didn't read. uh, I didn't read a lot this week. Like, I, I messed it up this week. I cussed. I saw something. Like, I promised God something and it didn't come through. And that guilt, like, bleeds into our lives. So I feel guilty when I do bad, but I also now feel guilty when I do good. That's off. But you see, that's the religious cycle. Because in the religious cycle, you owe God. You're supposed to do good. You're supposed to go to church. You're supposed to read the Bible. You're supposed to pray. You're supposed to do all these good things. But when you fall short, guilt creeps in. And that guilt is not because you sinned. That guilt is because you feel that you owe God something. And that is exactly how the Pharisees operated. So you're thinking like, okay, I messed up. I damaged my relationship with God. Now you're like, how do I fix this? And the truth is, you can't fix it. You're not good enough to fix it. You're not special enough to fix it. There's not enough books on theology. There's not enough seminary classes. There's not enough good works that you can do in the world. There's not enough money you can give the poor people. There's not enough things in this life that you can do to fix your damage and your relationship with God. So even in your good, you feel guilt. That's old wineskins. Here's the new wineskin. Jesus shows up. And Jesus says, no, no, like, I took all of your guilt and all of your shame on the cross. Therefore, you no longer have to feel guilt, not just in the bad, but you also don't have to feel guilt in the good. Because I took care of that for you. And because Jesus took care of our guilt and our shame, you know what that leaves us with? Freedom. You don't have to walk around thinking that you owe God anymore. You don't have to walk around feeling guilty anymore. That's the new wine, because we have freedom in the life that we have in Christ now. So the new wine, that that new covenant helps us deal with, it helps us manage our guilt. Number two, love management. It helps us manage how we see and view and receive love. See the old wineskins. The Pharisees were like, in order for God to love you, you must do A, B, C, and D. If God is really going to bless you, you must fast and pray. If God is going to like show favor on your life, you must memorize the whole Torah. But you see, that's not what the new, what Jesus is bringing. It's actually opposite. Because what Jesus says is, regardless of what you do, I still love you. There's nothing that could separate my love from your life. Because I am love. Um, go with me to Romans chapter 8. It's a passage that many of us know. But um, this, this, this passage came to my mind as, as I was thinking about this. When we, talk, when we talk about the new, bringing in the new. Romans 8, verses uh, 35 through 39. Because this is the new covenant right here. Look what it says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written? For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who, what? Loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to, what? Separate us from the love of God that is in who? Christ Jesus, our Lord. Praise God for that. Listen, there is nothing in this world that will separate you from the love of Christ except sin. That's why we must accept Jesus because he takes that for us. You see, old wineskins say you must do in order to understand to be loved and for God to love you. The new covenant shows up in Christ and says, I love you regardless if you do all this stuff. That's big time. Why is that so important for us? Because some of us don't know how to love. We don't know how to love people. Some of us have never been like, have, have never, like really experienced real love before. Like we've grown up so detached that we don't know how to love others because we don't know what that's like. And what Jesus is saying here, he's like, no, like with the new wine, the new covenant that's showing up, I'm going to show you what love is. I'm going to be love. I'm going to give you an example of what it looks like to love. So that way you're able to go out and love others as well. So you don't just receive love. You just don't understand love. But now you're able to show love to other people. How is that possible? Because in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, and we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I think one of the, the mistakes that we make is that we try to love people so hard because we want them to change. We're like, I'm going to love, I'm going to love, I'm going to love, I'm going to love, and hopefully they change. And honestly, you can't change nobody. It's impossible. So because of Christ, now we understand that love. So you don't love so you can change people. You love so you can point people to the one who could change them. That's how it works. So like if I love you, I love you enough to tell you that there is a better way. There's this new wine that's coming. I'm not just going to sit there and love you pretending that I think you're going to change in life because you're still in your old wineskins. So if I bring Christ and you're not willing to change, listen, it's going to jack it. It's going to mess it all up. The way that I'm showing my love to you is I'm going to love you because I want to point to you to the only person that could change your heart. And that's Jesus. And then the last thing. So guilt management, love management kind of shifts us a little bit. And then the last one is forgiveness management, forgiveness management. You know, what's interesting about the Pharisees is that the Pharisees, they show up and they separate themselves from everybody that does not think, act or do what they they do. They look at everybody as God hates them, but God loves us. So when people do wrong, the Jews even had like a law that said, listen, you forgive somebody three times and after that third time, you let God deal with them. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, how many times should you forgive? Not seven, but 70 times seven. That means you forgive an infinite amount of time. So when Jesus comes in as this new wine, he is breaking up what the Pharisees' view of forgiveness was. We should not be separated from people. So what do we learn with Jesus? God forgives me regardless of what I do. That means that God has forgiving me regardless because of what he did on the cross. And because God forgave me, now I'm able to forgive others, regardless of what they did. I might not forget, but I'm able to forgive. But you know what else I thought about? I think some of us are able to forgive, but some of us have to go back and say, you know, I got to be able to forgive myself. A lot of us live with this, like, past where you think, like, I've done something so terrible and so wrong that, yeah, you know, like, I'll forgive you, but, but it keeps us up at night because we can't forgive ourselves. And what Jesus is saying is, like, no, like, I forgave you. The Bible says that your sin has been thrown from as far as the east is from the west to the depths of the ocean. That's all gone. So I'm not going to bring it up. So why are you bringing it up? We've got to learn to forgive ourselves first. And Jesus with the new wine and the new covenant is not just showing you how to do it, but he's giving you a way to do it. He's making it available to you. It's a beautiful thing. So how do we break this old wineskin cycle? Cuz I'm starting to see this now like, you know, I see it kind of in the graft here. Because if I try to love somebody so that that way they could change, what happens if it doesn't work? What happens if it bombs? What happens if it fails? So now I feel guilt. Now because I feel guilt, that means that I feel like I must do something to fix it. And because I'm fixing it in my own power, I'm probably going to mess it up again. <laughs> Now, I jacked it all up. I said something I should have said. I I tried to fix it. It went wrong. I wasted money. Like, whatever that feels like. Now, I'm, like, hurt. There's hurt. There's mudslinging. There's all these things. I messed it up. So now I have to not just forgive that person, but I have to forgive myself. And then I forgive myself. And then the world says, like, I know you feel down, but just love yourself. Just self-love, man. Just love it love yourself and then you love yourself again and then you try to change something or you change yourself and that fails and it's repeat cycle you feel guilt and it just keeps continues it just keeps going so when Jesus comes to the picture he says take all of that and push it aside because you're trying to operate the new in the old and it's not going to work It all has to be completely new. So now Jesus is saying, listen, guilt is gone. So if you mess it up, you screw it up, guess what? Now there's grace and mercy. And guess what? You're gonna mess up. We're all gonna mess it up. But I'm covered by the cross, I'm covered by his blood. So I have grace and mercy on my life now. So I know I could run to him and ask for forgiveness. And now when I love people or when I show love to people, I'm not relying on myself to fix anything. I am praying that the Holy Spirit do its work. So that way my actions and my words will transform them to see them go to Christ. I'm going to point them to Christ. And when I'm hurt, I'm going to not just forgive you. I'm not just going to forgive others, but I'm going to forgive my own self for jacking it up. For some of us, we can't move forward because we haven't forgiven ourselves yet. So when I forgive myself, now I am free. I am free in Christ. I'm free to love. I'm free to live. I'm free, and I have joy in my life. Come on, man. Like, listen, joy is an attribute of God. So in the hard times, there's going to be joy. And in the good times, there's going to be joy. Why? Because I serve a God that's alive. And I'm in Christ. So let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you so much because you're a good God. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your teaching. And God, I pray that you help us to see that feeding you into our old ways it's not going to work. That's just going to make things worse. It's going to tear the cloth even worse. It's going to explode the new wineskins, or the old wineskins. But, Father, if we just eliminate everything and put our faith in you, then regardless of who we are, where we're from, and our background, we know that there's acceptance and love and faith. We're able to manage our lives In a more biblical way, which is a better way. So, Jesus, we pray all these things in your holy and righteous name, and we thank you for what you're doing here. Amen. Stand and worship together.